All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Daily Faceoff Podcast comes courtesy of The Nation Network. Here's your host, Brock Segan, with Dylan D. Berthium and Michael Biebs Bondi. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 6, Episode 6 of the Daily Faceoff Podcast, presented to you by our friends at oddshark.com. I'm Brock Segan, obviously. We've got Biebs Bondi with us. Um, Biebs, I'm going to go through the centers to start today's show. Uh It'll be just me and you. Dylan will join us yep. a little bit later in it's the New show. It's New Year's Eve, so uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's an eventful day. We're trying to just plan around plans, and we're fitting the show in. Yeah, we've got the skeleton uh, crew in here today trying to just get something out for you guys. We were going to try to record two shows today, but again, like Beeb said, it is New Year's Eve, so uh, we'll have the centers today, and then next week we'll yeah. wrap up the previews with the defensemen and the goalies at some point. We were talking about it. It's actually a shame. Uh, beer o'clock is coming um, real early today, so that's why we actually can't record the second one. When beer o'clock comes, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, so that's just – that's a problem. Um, not for us, but, you know, just for, for making a second show. That's all. Yeah, for sure. It might already be beer 30 over at the Segan household right now. Um, yeah, I won't tell. <laughs> but it is just we were talking about the other day. Like, it's so hard to, like, prepare for fantasy hockey, like, to start um, 
when it's Christmas and like New Year's and stuff, like normally we've got the middle of September and all of September to get ready for this and nothing is happening, right? Like literally mm-hmm. nothing's going on other yeah, than what are you NFL doing in September? Yeah, pretty much nothing. Maybe the occasional golf round if you've got good weather. But uh right now it's like weird like I'm trying to win fire song. Yeah. I'm trying to write stuff and it's like, oh well it's Christmas. Oh it's Boxing Day and like I've got so much stuff going on so hard. But anyways, um let's preview the centers. As always, we're gonna start with our top tens at the position. We'll go through each of our respective top tens, see uh, who's different, where we're different, and why we're different. Uh, And then we'll get through sleepers, breakouts, and busts uh, for today's episode. So, Biebs, we'll start with you. Who is your one through three at center? I have a weird feeling we might be identical, but maybe not Uh, since you're an Avs fan. So let's find out. I may be an Avs fan, but I am still a logical Avs fan. Um, For me, in standard leagues, um, which is what we're talking about here, I will be taking Connor McDavid with my first pick. As we know, Brock will as well, his favorite player ever. Um, who's, who, I mean, who doesn't love Connor? It's such a ridiculous statement. Um, number two for me is Nathan McKinnon. As This honestly might be the first year that we, that we have someone as close besides Kucherov, someone at the same position, I guess, to McDavid, um, someone who I actually have asking questions. There is always that bold-ass person in your league who's going to take McKinnon first or going to be like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't take McDavid first overall, just to talk about it. But they're dumb. Uh, take McDavid. McKinnon comes a cl- very close second. Um, but for me, you know, he just doesn't be uh, How do you go against the guy who's led the league in points in the last four seasons? Uh, just can't do that. And then number three for me, um, our boy McDavid's boy, German friend, one who Brock thinks now has a great German partner in um, Dominic boy, Moon. Or Dominic Cahoon, sorry, I was going Luke Coonan. Uh, way awfully close. Same K, but anyways, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, number three for me. Pretty much uh, guaranteed 100 points if we're playing 82 games here between all three of those guys, in my opinion. Um, all are lights out. If you're getting any, you are fine. Yeah, I think um, obviously I have the same top three. I think that there is a bit of a case for McKinnon this year, just if you're in a league like standard leagues are where uh, shots are a category just because he mm-hmm. shoots the puck so much more frequently. If it's just a points league, I think actually Leon maybe even jumps ahead of McKinnon. Uh, but I think that these three players are probably the only three players that we're going to see top 70 points this year. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. that there's probably a dark horse out there that's going to come. Now that Kucherov's out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was probably the four of them that you could make a really good case for them. Maybe all Pasta too, but like... Yeah, he's expected to miss maybe him. the first month as well. So um, yeah. I think these are the only three guys that are expected. Year. For sure. Um, if yeah. you look at it on Daily Faceoff right now, like I've uh, mentioned last week, our draft kit is up and running. All of our projections are there. I'm a little bit more prepared for today's show now that the draft kit is done. I just want to quickly go through my projections for these three guys. Uh, I've got 79 points, 51 assists uh, for Connor McDavid, 71.6 points for McKinnon, 73.9 for Dreisaitl. Uh, Dreisaitl scoring the most goals at 29.5, uh, but all very close, all within kind of uh, you know arm's length wow. of each other. But McDavid probably a little bit more reliable. Uh, McKinnon's more of the shot volume guy, and Dreisaitl is more of the um, – consistent goal score but i mean it's, it's so bizarre to think that um dry has been scoring more goals than mckinnon and mckinnon shoots like absolutely times. wild yeah it's insane i was actually looking today um i'll get into the stat later but i was looking at like all like the top shot percent like shooting percentage seasons over the last like 20 years for guys that have shot um 
like over 200 shots this season. And Dreisaitl like shot 21.9% two years ago. And we're all like, oh my God, like there's no way he can maintain this. And last year he just goes out and shoots 19, like 0.5%. Like how is this guy doing? It's absolutely incredible. But um, yeah, he is the one guy. When, I used to think it was Line. It was the one guy who could keep like a near 20% shot percentage just because of how lethal that shot was. One guy who actually can do it. And we've actually seen it um, a lot of times. We say, you know, just wait, just wait, just wait. And I mean, how long do you want to wait? We can wait three, four years. He's still going to do it. So it's, it's uh, incredible. That's a, that's, that's, yeah, hella impressive. I almost wish, just super quick point, that Dry Settle wasn't on Edmonton just so we could really see, um, that talk more about him just because the things he does are absolutely amazing. Do you think um, like he would score as many goals if he wasn't getting no. ridiculously dirty cross seam passes on the power no. play from McDavid though? No, that and as well, I mean, when they're together, this doesn't apply, but when they're not together, he's also not facing the top pair of demon. You mm-hmm. never not have your top, you're not top pair of demon out against McDavid. So in that case, uh, I don't think he would because, you know, he would always, he would automatically be the first option to defend on any team um unless mcdavid or mckinnon are there so yeah for sure it's 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 a nice luxury to have similar to the crosby malkin era um they just dominated for so many years and if mcdavid and joyce can ever get a good surrounding cast around them they'll be i would assume be able to do the same thing let's hope for just right. for or just for uh, Oilers Nation because they they need one. They do. Um, all right. I'm assuming that we're probably pretty similar at number four. You got Austin Matthews as well. I do, and I have a. Uh, I don't know if it's a bold hot take, but I'd say uh, he will lead the NHL in goals. Here, um, in my opinion, maybe maybe hot take, maybe a lukewarm take. But um, either way, that's who I think is leading the NHL right there. I think it's lukewarm um, because he's obviously been such a proven goal scorer. But I mean, like whenever you're in a league where Alex Ovechkin is still playing, it's always going to be a question mark for sure. Um, I don't think like, unless your name is Ovechkin, you're ever going to really be the favorite to lead the NHL in goals until he like gets up there and until that 45 or he just, yeah. Like until he just gets kind of by Matthews this year, then, then all of a sudden it's the, then you got to beat Matthews. It's like, Oh, can Ovi even beat Matthews? Then we'll be asking that. Just wait. No, I'm probably wrong, but I don't know for certain. Um, I don't have it in front of me what I projected uh, Ovechkin for, but I'm almost certain I have Matthews projected to lead the NHL in goals at 35 um, and then 28 assists for 67 points this season. Um, A lot of goals. All right. So a couple weeks ago on the preview show, Oh, Dylan's arrived. Let's let Dylan in the, in the conversation here while we (laughs) continue to talk about. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about how, um, Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel are together and I kind of posed this question to you would you rather have Sidney Crosby or Jack Eichel and I put you guys on the spot uh, but you guys came through as you always do and now it's kind of you guys have had a couple weeks to sit on it and look at it at five and six do you guys have Crosby and Eichel in that mix Beebs we'll start with you and D as you get your audio connected we'll go to you after I uh, I do I do have Sidney Crosby the five there Brock, since you've asked that question, you kind of cut us on on the spot on that one. Had to make some some awkward choices, but since I've thought about it, Sidney Crosby is just too good money for points. Um, it's just a matter for me. It's a matter of ceiling against um, for sure points, and uh, I like Sid a lot here. I mean, I'm not ready to give up on Sid yet, and to get him out of my top five centers, that's just too much disrespect to the kid. Uh, Eichel may have a great season. He does have some new line mates in Hall, um, and he and, and and you know that that may happen. But I'm still just you got it before I actually give you that spot above Crosby. 
Um, so if you have this option where you're sitting in your draft and Crosby and Eichel are sitting there, I would say go Crosby. Like I said, it's just such a sure bet. And for a higher pick like this, um, you, you really want to make sure this is likely going to be your first or second person off the board. You want to make sure that you're hitting with and not to say that you won't with Eichel, but um, I just like the surety behind Crosby a lot more than I the surety. So I got Crosby at five. <laughs> yes. Yeah, super legit word. Um, yeah, that's what I went to school, to school for journalism for just to make up <laughs> words on podcasts. Um, number six, Jack Eichel for me. So you're sticking with what you said a couple weeks ago. Um, D you also said that you would take Crosby over Eichel just because of, it seems to have a, at least a more sturdy floor at this point in his career. Although you also think that Jack Eichel, uh, is poised for a big season like me and Biebs do. Um, but quickly, welcome to the show. And also, we went McDavid, McKinnon, Dreisaitl, Matthews as our top fours for both of us. Any change for you first off? And then would you still take Sidney Crosby over Jack Eichel at this point? Yeah, see, this is why I showed up late, because I knew it wouldn't matter for the first stretch here. I had the exact same um, for my top four, and now moving into the top five. Uh, I wasn't just glued to what we said on the spot last week. I was really looking at it, considered bumping Eichel up over Crosby. Um Obviously, the, the big thing that Eichel has going for him, potentially over Crosby this season, is that goal-scoring threat. Uh, but the more you look at it, yes, Eichel's always been a reliable uh, shot producer. Um, but last year was a bit out of the norm for him. He shot 15.9%. He's got a career average of just over 10. Um, so, you know, it, I would be expecting that to fall back around to, like I said, that 10% mark, which could cost him a few goals. Um, and then as well, same thing with the on ice shooting percentage, right? It was, uh, he had it above into double digits for the first time last year, 11.9%, probably some regression due there. So, um, yes, we're all very excited about the addition of Taylor Hall. I talked about how you can't really bank on, um, a guy playing with a certain teammate over an entire season. It's hard to bake that into someone's fantasy value. It's tempting, but it's something you got to try to avoid. So that's what I'm sticking with here in Eichel. And again, I, I just think his, um, puck luck is uh, due to regress a little bit this season, both in his personal shooting percentage and in the on-ice shooting percentage. So I wouldn't be surprised if instead of a breakout this year, we see him kind of sustain last year's numbers. But again, at a more, uh, I guess, sustainable rate or in a more sustainable fashion with uh, with Hall there now. We could see an increase in shots for sure. Um, maybe some more puck possession. Uh, he's already playing 22 minutes a night. So if anything, that would go down this season. Uh, so again, I, I think... Um, the arrival of Hall more than anything will just help to mitigate the oncoming regression for Eichel's uh, uh, puck luck this season. Yeah. And I'm actually right there with you in terms of my projections for him this season. It's uh, almost just like a, a microcosm of last year, just um, with kind of the increased volume and, and increase of talent around him. And it's kind of just all going to kind of, uh, water's going to find its level there for him. For me, Crosby, as long as, you know, it's funny you say you can't really bake in the, you know, the fact that he could have Taylor Hall in his swing for the entire season. But the one thing you can do for Crosby is know exactly who he's going to be playing with. And he's going to be playing with Jake Gensel for the entirety of the season, so long as Gensel stays healthy again. Um, so for me, I've got 24 goals and 23 goals for Crosby, Eichel, respectively. Crosby uh, edging him out uh, by a couple of assists. Again, this is all projected over 56 games. So, um, you know, if anybody gets hurt, that could obviously change. But uh, over 56 games, still slight edge for Crosby. So um, all three of us have the exact same top six. So let's go, Beebs. We'll start with you, seven through ten. Uh, maybe just give us your names and we'll talk about them individually and, uh, and see where we've gone different. 
All right. Um, yeah, we definitely are different here, Brock, which uh, which is great because we do need a little bit a uh, little bit of mix up on the Daily Face Off podcast. So, uh, number six, as mentioned, Jack Eichel coming after him. This one was incredibly tough, I will admit, but I have Braden Point of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, just super quick justification for this one: a forty-one and fifty-one season just a year ago. Uh, people don't forget Braden, and I certainly don't. I got you at number seven. And even uh, crazy, like his, his postseason was just nuts. Yeah, and he went wild. So I honestly, I think last year was, uh, was more a fluke season than anything. I could see him easily being right back there. Um, a little bit of stammer health would help him quite a bit as well. Uh, not sure what we're seeing over there. Um, but hopefully, Stamkos hopefully, looks ready uh, to go by the sounds of things. Stamkos yeah. should be ready to go for the start of the season. Um, and even regardless, I say down year. He's still at a point per game, 64 and 66 games. It's not bad. Who do you have at number eight? Uh, number eight, I have coming from Vancouver, Elias Pedersen. Um, this is a lot higher than a lot of people have him. I am more putting him here for the ceiling. Um, he has not proven himself like a little, some of the talents around him. But for me, um, Pedersen, just, I just see him expanding his game that much more, getting him up to the top eight in centers, which is uh, this is an absolute stacked position. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Pedersen's probably the most interesting player at the center position. Uh, maybe Mika Zibanejad, he brings a lot of intrigue as well, uh, but we'll touch on him a little bit more later. But Pedersen really seems to have, like, everyone's expecting this crazy blow-up season from Eichel now that he's got Taylor Hall. And I think Pedersen is just as likely to just go absolutely nuts this season. Um, I think the one thing about him is he's going to make or break people's drafts. I think people are going to take him either too mm-hmm. early and he's, and he's not going to go nuts or they're going to get him kind of right where he's going now and he's going to go uh, ballistic. I have him a little bit lower, but let's hear your ninth. I got him first. at eight. But uh, I got him an eight. But with that, I will also mention I want no part of this guy. Um, if he's sitting there, I'll probably take someone who's more sturdy. Um, it's just I, I'm just banking on that breakout. Of it. But number nine for me, D would like this. I have John Tavares out in Toronto. It's the goals for me. Um, a down year last year, not a necessarily down year, but if we're about Braden Point a year before, we have to talk about John Tavares. This guy's one of the elite goal scorers in the league, and we have talked about how special goals can be for a guy. If you're getting someone. I'm not going to say this late, but a little bit mid-level draft, like it might be Tavares, third or fourth round. Uh, he could absolutely be your goal leader. And that's why I have him coming in here at number nine. And then number 10 to close on my list, um, I had to show the respect there, but Evgeny Malkin from Pittsburgh, if he can stay healthy all year, uh, not not that health's really been an issue, but kind of has. We've talked about how Pittsburgh plays. They do tend to be a little bit on the less risk side for playing a person who may be injured. Um, due to the talent that they have around them. So for me, I put Malkin there at 10, and that's strictly because of what he's done in the last like, 10 years. Um, I just really like what he brings to the table. I don't really have to say much more about Malkin. Um, just go to any of the podcasts that we've done in the last, again, yeah, seven, if, years, if, six if years. If you're on season on, six of this podcast and you don't know yeah, – You've heard enough about, about Malkin. Malkin. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, it was so, yeah, a Mark- very tough 10. I, I had Aho just – just. It's brutal. It, it's absolutely brutal, like trying to rank out that top 10 um, – the one thing that was so interesting to me when I was doing this research is just how late you can get a guy like John Tavares right now. Um, like where yeah, he's going he, is crazy. He falls just outside of my top 10, but like he could easily be number six. Like, like they're yeah, so like from six through 12. And if we're talking about the anybody. talent, like we're talking about the talent around him. If we're going to mention, you know, that like, I have to say it as a kind of neutral fan, we're going to talk about McDavid, you know, having these, or uh, McDavid bringing these things to, to teams. We got to talk about Mitch Marner. We got to talk about all these. These are guys that are absolute studs. Um, give me those two 
any day around me. And uh, not to say Fair is going to play correctly, but there are people that, again, pull D um, away from him that help on the power play. Um, so for me, I Similar I, to I what you were saying about Dreisaitl. If, 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 exactly if, even that. if Marner's playing with Matthews, the top D pair is typically going to go after those two, and Tavares should get some cushier matchups. And, and that, Tavares you know. is a year off of a 47-goal season. Um, exactly. So that, that's, that's three off of 50. You don't see 50 ever anymore. Um, and that is why he is making my top 10. Okay, so my 7 through 10 is a little bit different. I've got Sebastian Aho at 7, Evgeny Malkin at 8, Braden Point at 9, Elias Pedersen at 10. It was brutal, brutal, brutal to leave Alexander Barkov off this list. Uh, and probably worse, it was, it was almost impossible to leave John Tavares off this list, but there's only so many names. Um, Sebastian Aho is a guy that I've been high on uh, since he basically came into the NHL. I'm not going to stop now. Uh, I'm not going to go full Nino Niederreiter like I did last year. Uh, but I, I absolutely love Aho's uh, ceiling this season. Uh, he was tremendous in the playoffs last year as well. So I, I think Aho is kind of another one of those guys like Pedersen, like Eichel yeah, that can kind of reach so new. It's so tough to have them both. Yeah, I, I think they can just absolutely reach new heights this season. Uh, for me, Malkin is a guy I had actually behind Braden Point until the Kucherov injury. Uh, I think the Kucherov injury is going to hurt Point a little bit. Um, obviously getting Stamkos back and if Stamkos fills in for Kucherov, it shouldn't be, uh, too big of an issue, but Kucherov, like we've talked about is maybe the best player in the world. Uh, so whenever you lose him off your wing, that's going to hurt. That's, you know, it's tough to replace. Uh, so Malkin jumps ahead just because he's been so steady. Um, I think every single year when I start to do this rankings process, I'm ready to write Malkin off. And then you kind of just go and look at his numbers and it it just never stops. Like he's, yeah. He's like a point and a half per game every year forever. He, he only plays like 65 games, but in a 56 game season, he's going to be right at home. So uh, I still like Malkin's upside a lot uh, until he stops, you know, producing at that pace. I, I I'm not going to write him off. Uh, Elias Patterson. I don't know. Like, I just think that there's so much to like about the Canucks this year. Uh, I think, uh, I think that Patterson's in for a big season, but to me, like Patterson bark off, and um, Tavares are literally tied for 10 for me. Like, I mm-hmm. can't pick. It's so hard to pick between the so three hard. of them. Um, I think at the, it's going to matter who to, gets hot earlier. Yeah, and to me, when you're coming down to the draft, like, when you get to these centers, I think, like, they're all ranked together, and it's, it's, it's a matter of personal preference. I think if you're if you're D, you know, you probably go with Tavares. Um, but, you know, it, it's all a matter of personal preference. And I think for me, I would I would probably go Pedersen, but it, I, I, it honestly, they're so close. But D – um there's there's six or seven guys that can be between six and and 14 for you how did you sort yours yeah so i i did have malkin above the rest the main reason for that i don't think anyone else has really shown the ability to consistently produce above a point per game i think everyone else um is kind of tapping out around that point per game pace um obviously point had that season two years ago but we were all expecting him to fall off a bit last year i mean he shot 21 and a half percent um, his on-ice shooting percentage for his career is 11.1%, which is super high. Obviously, with Kucherov gone this year, you expect that to fall. It was 13.2% last year. And again, still, he just managed a point per game. Um, so I'm not as high on point as you guys. I have him at 11. I got Pedersen at 10. Um, I do still like point. I think, you know, he's obviously a tremendous player. Um, but to me, this just, you know, I don't think his fantasy value and the production is incredibly reliable. Um, we talked about line A his first few years in the league. How long can you really shoot 18%? There's going to be a season where that falls off the mat. 
Um, and it's the same start with point. He's shooting 17.3% in his career. He only had 141 shots on goal last year. He barely shoots over twice a game. Um, so maybe he's forced to take on a little bit more of a shooting role with Kucherov gone. needs to take it into his own hands a little bit more. Not that Kucherov was really taking shots away, but uh, the point stands that, yeah, the ice time's probably going to go up this year. But I would expect, uh, again, at some point, that shooting percentage has to come down a little bit. And the on-ice shooting percentage is, I think, what's really going to hurt him this year when you don't have um, the best player in the NHL playing on your wing. Um, the high danger chances aren't going to be there. Your teammates aren't going to convert at the same clip. Um, so yeah, I like his goal scoring potential just in terms of a sharp shooting. I wish he shot more, but he doesn't. Um, so for me, I can't include point in my top 10 just with the other guys that are around him. So, uh, but again, I think I started this list with having point at eight and then just slowly he ended up upping him down one by one, right? Because like you guys said, it's just so tight. Um, again, the main issue or the concern with Malkin is always injuries, but he's the one guy remaining after the top six that, uh, like I said, can comfortably produce above a point per game. Uh, where I think the rest are all falling in uh, right around that point per game mark. Uh, I have Aho at eight. I, again, I just think his production's a little bit more reliable. He's the main cog in that team. There's no real red flags in his underlying numbers, and uh, I'm not really can't really expect anything to regress. 10.3 on ice last year, um, 18.4 personal shooting percentage. So obviously that's a little bit high. Um, but again, we're really just expecting him to kind of fall back to around a 30 goal pace as opposed to a 40 goal pace he was on last season. Um, so as long as you're not banking on that type of production from Aho, like I said, I still think he's a really uh, safe bet to get a point per game, and he's still going to return you at least 30 goals. So that's why I give him the slight edge over Tavares, who I have at nine. Um, and again, it just comes down to goal scoring. Obviously, he wasn't as hot last year, but he still shoots the puck a ton. Still shoots at above average clip, 13% for his career. That's right where he was at last season. Uh, and he's obviously got some great playmakers to play with. Obviously, a pretty stacked power play. Um, so I think last year is kind of the floor, but you can expect to John Tavares, 26 goals, 60 points in 63 games. Um, so I think he's one of the guys that's a real threat to get to 30 goals in the shortened season. So that's why I have Tavares at nine. Um, again, it's just a slew of guys that you expect to turn out around a point per game. So Tavares being that consistent goal scoring threat is enough to give him uh, the edge for me. And then I got Pedersen at 10. Again, him and points are really similar to me. I just think Pedersen's production has been a little bit more reliable, and he's obviously coming to that age where you expect him to take that step forward. There's nothing really in his underlying numbers that point that he was a little bit unlucky last year, and he should have been producing above a point-per-game clip. But again, he's just at that point in his career, the type of talent he is, that it's, you know, the third season is generally when you expect him to take that real step forward. Um, so I think if he is going to be one of those players, you know, one of the five, 10 best players in the NHL, we're going to have to start seeing it sooner than later. He's a very good player. He's been amazing so far. Um, but you know, I think a lot of people haven't paid to take that next step. And I think now's the time. So that's why I have him in my top 10. And again, I just think that production is a little bit more reliable than the likes of Braden point. Uh, and obviously he has an incredible ceiling as well. Pedersen. Yeah. It's crazy. Like there's so many good centers that, um, when I was doing my rankings, basically like any single player that had, you know, center left wing, center right wing eligibility, I was ranking them as a winger because I'm like, you don't need <laughs> to focus on your centers. You're going to get them. They're going to be, they're stacked. I mean, and then you got a guy like Aho who I believe it's ESPN. He's left wing eligibility. Um, I think Dreisaitl's still a winger on Yahoo. Uh, so the centers are crazy. It's going to be so interesting, like to see how it pans out by the end of the season, what the actual top 10 looks like. And if there's any of these guys who are kind of right there, um, if they can work their way into the top 10. Um, but 
I don't think you can go wrong with picking any of those top 12 centers on your fantasy team. Um, I guess the only issue would be how deep the position really is. And if you really need um, two of them, but if you get two of them, obviously your team is going to be absolutely loaded. We're talking about, you know, 12 guys that should be right around a point per game, if not above it. Um, yeah. Speaking about the guys, one thing, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. I just want to say the one thing I want to mention real quick, because none of us talked about him, but I do think he's right in the same kind of subcategory. Um, and isn't that far off the top 10 is Mark Shifley. Um, and he is going, you know, about a round or two later than the rest of these guys. So um, if there is a bit of a center run early on in, in your league and these guys are popping off the board, I wouldn't hesitate to take Mark Shifley um, towards the end of the second round, maybe the start of the third round, as opposed to where he's going with the 40th overall pick right now. Um, so not a ton of value there, but again, I do really, I, I, Shifley was a guy who was right on the edge of making the top 10 for me. And for whatever reason, his ADP is just a bit lower than the, than the rest of that crew. So he's one to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, I was actually going to talk about Shifley a little bit later, um, but he's definitely a guy who's right there. Uh, you know, 30 goal threat consistently, 40 assists a season ago. Um, definitely a guy that's right in the discussion. I guess we should probably touch on Barkoff a little bit too. I mean, if yeah, you've been listening oh, yeah. to this podcast for, for years, um, you've heard us talk about Barkoff enough, um, but he's definitely a guy that's right in this realm uh, with, with these top 10 players. Uh, so there you go. You, you had Shifley in the mix. we got about 13 guys yeah. all that could be top 10 centers this season um Barkoff you know we talked about it a little bit losing Dadenoff I think it's going to hurt a little bit more uh than we thought but they have added Anthony Duclair um in the last <laughs> week or so so that you know that could be a guy that ends up playing on that line that kind of steadies the ship a little bit is um, a lot better than what they had ago. yeah, yeah. For, sure. Oh, for sure and like and you know what and we talked about Owen Tippett if he can kind of step up he would be obviously a huge uh fantasy sleeper and he's a guy that absolutely loves to shoot the puck and that will uh help bolster Huberto and Barkoff's assist totals as well so um, still lots of like about Barkoff. He just, you know, he's not quite as a sure thing as some of these other guys um, in this top 10. Yeah. If, if we're dropping him outside the top 10, that's really saying something about the rest of these guys. Cause I don't think there's a player that we've been higher on over the years than, than Barkoff. For sure. That's and I think it just, deserving. again, it speaks to how important reliability is at the top of the draft. You want to really be able to rely on your first seven or eight picks to be the core nucleus of your team. And you don't want to, uh, go around taking too many risks with guys uh, who don't have as sturdy of a floor. So that's why I, I love Shifley and I think he's great value this year. Um, his last four seasons, 73 and 71 last year, 84 and 82, 60 and 60 and 82 and 79. So he's been, like I said, maintained a point per game pace for each of the last four seasons. Um, so yeah, I just don't think that it gets much more reliable than, than that sort of production. And he does deserve to be going any later than the rest of the guys. And he is, so he's worth uh, keeping an eye on, uh, in your third round for sure. And I think it's worth mentioning. I did write a article the other day, kind of like a strength of schedule, um, for this upcoming season, because the season is so unique in terms of how, who's playing who and, and how many times and, I think it was worth diving into and the team that comes out on top um, is Winnipeg. They Mm -hmm. they get to, they play Toronto 10 times and they play Ottawa 10 times. Um, Ottawa, obviously a little bit easier to play against in Toronto, but Toronto, no 10 for the, for that division because they, Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Cause they have the one times and the other teams nine. Um, But Toronto wasn't a team that was, uh, you know, they gave up their fair share of goals a season ago as well. So Winnipeg kind of comes out on top of that. Uh, But when you just look at the, um, Canadian or North division as a whole, that was a division that um, gave up a ton of goals last year. And I think that when you're drafting this year, you have to take that into account. Some of these teams, like if you look at 
Um, the West division, a lot of those teams are teams that play some lockdown defensive hockey and don't give up a lot of chances. And they could be much lower scoring games throughout the entire course of the season. Where in the Canadian division, we could see six, seven, eight goals a night in most of these games. So I think when it comes down yeah. to breaking it down between two different players and who, you know, to make those tough decisions, it's definitely something you've got to consider. And, you know, at the top of the list, you got Winnipeg, Calgary, Montreal, Vancouver, Toronto, Edmonton, all teams in the Canadian division. There's the top six. Um, yeah. There's a and, lot of goals that are going to be going around in that division this year. So Shifley's a guy, line A's guy that could absolutely go off this year for Winnipeg. And and obviously goaltending is a big part of that as well, right? And when exactly. you think about all the goaltenders they're going to face this year, as far as the top tier caliber goes, you have Price and maybe Hel- obviously Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck based Hellebuck. on what he did last year. Freddie Anderson, depending what month of the year you catch him in. And then <laughs> yeah, good mark, Tom. Exactly, right? Like we're talking about guys that aren't as quite reliable and – who are coming off strong seasons perhaps, but yeah, not the goaltending stalwarts that you'd be scared of facing like Brock says nine, 10 times a year. Um, so yeah, I definitely think there's going to be a lot of goals to come out of that division uh, and just naturally too, right? Like with all the talent they have is there as well. Yeah. Like I, I think when you're looking at a guy like Hellebuck, like he's such an interesting case because yeah. I think that he's maybe, you know, probably the second best goalie in fantasy, um, you know, I think you could make an argument for a guy like Lane or Rask if he plays enough games, but Hellebuck's a workhorse and you don't find that very often. But like when you're playing Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, you know, 10 times a year and, and Connor and McDavid Connor. and Leon Dreisaitl Dre- Dre- nine times a year, like that's, that's a tough schedule. It's going to be right. brutal. So and obviously like they increase in back-to-backs, the condensed schedule, maybe there really aren't any workhorses this year, right? Like you still expect a guy like Hellebuck to start obviously you know 70 80 percent of the games but is he going to be able to you know start as many games or the same share of games as he did last year i'd be surprised right and you could probably say the same across the board for sure um and that's another thing we'll talk about obviously a lot in the goalie episode but um tandems are going to be real this year so it's guys that are maybe the 1a 1b split they're going to have a lot more value this year than they had in years past well and with teams carrying three goalies again we'll talk about that kind of more in the goalie show but like we're going to see third goalies stepping in on That's some nights be because it's, it's going to be wild it's going to be a, a year that you definitely want to keep an eye on daily face off to figure out who's starting in goal but all right let's get right back into the centers here we'll save the goalie talk for the voodoo episode um Biebs, we'll start with you who is your sleeper center for 2021 my sleeper is Dylan Strom from the Chicago Blackhawks. Current ADP is 172. And for those of you counting at home, that is the absolute bottom of your draft um, or not drafted at all. 172 for Dylan Strom. Um, of course, Jonathan Taze is Brock crack one open for Jonathan Taze. Um, super unfortunate news this week about him. Um, and we also saw the unfortunate injury to, um, to their, their future superstar center, Kirby Doc at the World Juniors. Um, leaves an absolute glaring hole um, sitting right in the middle there in Chicago. One, Dylan Strom. Um, and for me, I've talked about getting value at the end of the draft before with just guys that, you, you know, someone has to score on the team. And that's that's where Dylan Strom is going to come in this year for Chicago. It's going to be a really bad team. Really They're going to be team. so I bad. Cannot, yeah, they're going to be terrible. No going, um, but there will be goals for. And uh, we have seen Chicago produce an absolute wicked power play. Um, with Strom on it in previous years, um, and, and, and his little friend named Alex Brinkett. Um, so I expect some good things from Strom. This is a guy who's just one year off to fifty one year off of fifty one points in fifty eight games, being traded from Arizona, a third overall pick. Um, again, there is no one really threatening to take his line center status in Chicago right now. 
Um, the, the first person who's going to take it is Doc, and he's almost five months out. Um, yeah, and Taves, if he so ever for, comes back, depending on what kind of that health, how that everything yeah, works out there. And even when he does, um, if, if, if Strom plays enough of the season around that area, and Taves comes back, Strom still is playing a top six central um, and likely to be touching power play, especially with the, again, previous success we've seen in the past. Um, he's a young talent who's, you know, maybe just taking a little bit longer to break out. So for me, I do see a scene there. Um, that maybe he hasn't hit yet, but even if he goes, you know, 51 and 58, like he did two years ago, I really like Strom. Good producer goals, good producer of assists. And he's just going to be in the position to succeed um, in a year that's going to be full of just non-success in Chicago. Yeah. I think that he, I'm just actually was in the process before we jumped on here, um, fixing my rankings and trying to find out where to put him is a really interesting case uh, because we've seen him have success with Patrick Kane in the past. Um, even last year, he wasn't terrible in that spot, but Kirby Dock kind of came on towards the end of the season. They gave him a look there and he, he really looks like a player and it kind of just forced Strom to the third line. Uh, but this year it's going to be kind of all on Strom. I mean, outside of, of him, they went out and got Carl Soderberg. He might be their second line center. Uh, so <laughs> uh, without Taze, without Doc, it, it's all going to fall on Dylan Strom and playing with Patrick Kane night in and night out, I think should lead to some fantasy success. If you can get this guy as a third, fourth center on your team, um, get him later in drafts and allow you to focus on the other positions. I think that he'll be just fine. Do you got uh, you got anything to add on Dylan Strom, or do you want to talk about your sleeper? No, yeah, I mean, we talked about it already. I think this year with how good that uh, the power play was when Carlton came in midway through the 2018-19 season, they had the best power play in the league from that okay. point out. And then last year, it kind of fell off the map a little bit. Um, but we did see them get on on back on track with the man advantage toward the ends of last season. So I'm confident, or I'm hopeful that they could. Even with Taves gone, obviously the Canes, the main driver on that power play and, and then to bring Cubs one-timer. So I'm um, pretty confident that that power play can at least be one of the top in the top half this year, if not push into the top 10 or top five. They still have the personnel to do it. Uh, and Strom's a big part of that. Uh, and again, we were expecting him to fall back last year. He had that 16% shooting percentage with that stint in Chicago in 2018-19. Also had a pretty high on ice. Um but the one thing I think that maybe hurt him more than anything was just the, his time on ice just dropping. He played under 16 minutes a game last year. Um, and all that being said, he still managed 38 points in 58 games. So not a fantastic return. But when you consider the fact that uh, he's coming into his 23-age season, he should be playing more minutes than he ever has. And like we said, he's going to feature with Patrick Kane for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a lot to like here. And for the value he's going right now at the end of the drafts, yeah, it's, you, you, got, you got to have him. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Um, yeah, who's your absolutely. sleeper, Dylan? Um, so I got Sean Monahan. Uh, so last year, Monahan obviously had a terrible, terrible down year, uh, as did most of the Flames for most of the regular season, kind of yeah. got on track, back on track towards the end, able to sneak in. But um, last year, Mount Monahan followed up what really was a breakout season in 2018-19 with his worst statistical season since his rookie year. He finished 18-19 with 82 points, uh, but then mustered just 22 goals and 26 assists in 70 games last season. Um, So obviously that fall from grace, uh, presumably I would assume combined with that lone center eligibility has seen Monaghan fall down the draft boards this year. His ADP currently 147.2, meaning on average he's going in the 13th round. Uh, as far as bounce back seasons go, I, I think Monaghan's a relatively safe bet this year. Thanks to his consistent goal scoring output. 
Um, before last year's total of 22 goals, Monaghan tallied between 27 and 34 goals for five years in a row. He was a really consistent bet to be in that 30-30 range, um, which obviously isn't that easy to find at the center ice position. So I think, um, like I said, that type of goal scoring is hard to come by, let alone at that position as opposed to the wings. So last year's decline, obviously due in large part to relatively slow start for the season, not just for Monaghan personally, but for the Flames as a whole. Um, he had six points in the first 11 games, which wasn't a terrible run, but again, the team wasn't doing well and his ice time really started to drop as a result. Um, so really for the first time in almost seven years since he's been there, Monahan was in a battle to fight for his spot on the top line. Competition from Mikael Backlin, as well as Elias Lindholm, uh, playing a little bit in the center ice position. Obviously he was playing on the wing with Monahan and Goudreau the year before. Um, and yeah, that was obviously a big part of Monaghan's value, right? Was the fact that you knew he was going to be playing on the top line 20 minutes a night with Johnny Goudreau. And then obviously, like I said, Elias Lindholm, the three of them formed a pretty potent line in 2018-19. Um, so really that seems to be the way that they're headed this year um, is back towards that formula that, that produced so many goals. Uh, like I said, in 2018-19, Jeff Ward's arrival behind the bench brought a little bit more stability back to the Flames' top line. He did experiment with the more balanced lineup as well. Um, but eventually fell back to Goudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm was top line, and that's where we're expecting them to start this season. Um, and again, there's not a lot of off-season activity in Calgary, at least for, you know, bringing in help to that top six. Uh, looks like Lindholm's going to be playing on the wing again. So again, just should add up to a lot more first-line job security for Monaghan. At that point, it's really just Backlund pushing him, and Backlund obviously more suited to more of a second or third-line role, even a more of a shutdown center two-way player so uh, I think that premier ice time will be more than enough to return to his reliable 30 goal 30 assist pace there's really nothing else in his numbers that pointed to that dip uh, or that downturn in production uh, other than the fact that there was just a huge switch in his role and like I said for the first time we really had to battle for a spot on the top line um, it's not a guarantee that he's going to bounce back this year but for a guy that you can pick up in the 13th round and with how consistent he was before that I, I just think he's a he's a great bet to outperform his ADP yeah, I, he was one of the guys that just jumped off the page to me right away when you looked at the the Yahoo ADPs. He's going way too low. We talked about it last week uh, with, with Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, we do expect some better things from that line this year as long as they don't play like they did in the playoffs. Uh, but I think the one thing that you pointed out is Backlund is kind of just like that second. He's more suited for that second line role. It seems to be um, pretty solidified. Like they kind of emerged as like the de facto top one there because him, Kachuk and Mangiapane played so well down the stretch last year that it was like, almost like they were the top line and most nights they were playing more minutes. Uh, but Monaghan, you couldn't stop the guy from scoring for a few years. And, and the fact yeah. that he's going where he is he now, sure I mean, there's 30 please. Yeah. Every year, like it was like a 30, 30 yeah. season every single year. Yeah, so easy. Yeah. Where he's going right now is a no-brainer as like a third, fourth line center on your fantasy team. Um, and then he's a guy that could easily kind of supplant um, whoever you drafted maybe a, a round or two before him because that, that ADP is just far too low. Um, but for me, somebody whose ADP is too low is Dylan Larkin. Shockingly, I'm going to go to a Red Wing guy's jersey over my that whatever shoulder. I don't know. Um, but Dylan Larkin right now, his ADP right, is 139.1. On DFO, I have him ranked at 79. Uh, Larkin followed up his breakout 2019 campaign with a clunker in 2020, presumably lowering his draft stock in 2021. Uh, still, he posted 19 goals and 53 points in 71 games. Not a bad clunker. Um, and providing plenty of optimism coming into the season. 
There's a number of reasons why I still like Larkin this season. Uh, he's been extremely durable over the first five years of his career, skating in 97.5% of the Red Wings games. His shot volume has remained really, really strong, uh, bordering on elite, you could say. He was on pace for 258 shots last season, uh, which would have made it three straight seasons of over 230 shots. He's 12th in the NHL with 742 shots over that three-year span. Um, his shooting percentage last year dipped from 11.1 to 8.5, um, which explained the drop to, from 30-plus goals uh, to 19 goals. So a return to 20-plus uh, with 30-goal pace potential um, with his shot volume seems inevitable in 2021. Um, but I think the most important thing about Larkin is even while playing on one of the worst teams in NHL history, Detroit's history. top line – uh, remained one of the best lines in all of hockey. They were sixth in goals for per 60, which was ranked ahead of Florida one, Colorado one, and Tampa Bay one. Uh, I don't know if you, any of you guys would have expected that. Those are literally some of the most highly touted lines in the world. And Detroit one produced at a higher clip than they did at even strength last year. Uh, but somehow, even as bad as they were defensively, um, Detroit one remains stout defensively as well, ranking 12th um, in goals for percentage at 57.1. Um, and then also they picked up a couple of decent pieces this off season, which should help bolster a power play that ranked third worst in the NHL last season, uh, which I think further adds to the value of getting Larkin at 139th overall. I know that you guys are also fans of Dylan Larkin. So I don't think yep. I, you guys have he, probably too, too much. You to saw add where on. I had Manta last week. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think there's a lot to like about that line. top line this year. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I watched every single game last year, and, and they obviously stood out on most nights. Um, most nights they'd be expected to get blown out 6-2, to two, but you'd still stack them on DraftKings because you knew they were going to score the two goals. Um, they, they just were, they were tremendous. So uh, Larkin going way too late. I think that, um, you know, it, it's not even just Larkin. I, we talked about Mantha too. It's, I think it's just kind of like a Red Wing factor right now. I don't think anybody really wants anything to do with the Red Wings. Um, and I don't really blame them. Um, I kind of talked about that strength of schedule thing earlier. The Red Wings do rank last on that list. So um, their division doesn't look like it's going to be too, too easy to score against. But uh, still, Detroit 1 did it all last year. I think they'll be able to do it again this year. Um, but Beach, back to I you for your, for your breakout. My breakout? Um this one, this one was really tough. My breakout this year, going young again. Obviously, I mean, who doesn't for a breakout? Let's not go. Let's not go to the retirement home. But I got Nick Suzuki out of Montreal. Um, it wouldn't be right if I didn't uh, jump on another first round talent, as I mentioned, uh, like I do every year in this slot. Coming off extremely impressive seven points in ten playoff games, are basically the most noticeable Canadian out there. Um, Suzuki got really his first real taste of the NHL last year. And I don't know about you guys, but I thought he'd come in and be a little undersized. I didn't necessarily think that his vision would translate. Um, and all these things didn't happen as I expected. He actually uh, turned into a super useful centerman. Um, you know, the size wasn't a factor at all. He became an extreme power play threat and uh, is now um, what I'm seeing as someone who is basically – uh, a team leader in points now that Max Domi is out of the picture. Uh, not that he was necessarily ever in his way, um, but just, you know, people have to jump up and take bigger roles and Suzuki may have already had a huge role, but I don't see it increasing uh, just in general with his 
he, he still had a 41 point campaign last year um, across 68 games. I just see that getting better. It's just a, it, it's some, it's matter of fact with these guys. Um, they're only getting bigger, better, stronger, older, um, getting more ice time. And for me, Nick Suzuki, uh, we talked about it all year early on, wasn't getting a lot of ice time. He was around the 14 minute, 15 minute mark. We wanted to see more. Um, so this year I see him jumping higher up, obviously not going to get the first line minutes uh, because of how strong that to know uh, line is. But for me, I see Nick Suzuki taking, taking a big step here and, and finally breaking out um, into a position where everyone basically wants him on their fantasy roster. Yeah. I, he's one of the guys that I'm the highest on this year too. I think that there's massive uh, breakout potential here. I just, I, I think he looked so good in the playoffs. I, I think yeah. that I've probably talked about him almost too much uh, this off season because, you know, last time I did this with a player uh, and expecting a massive things, it didn't go so well. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk too much about Nick Suzuki because I don't want to curse him. So uh, absolutely love the pick. And that curse to me, I'm sure Dylan does as well. Uh, But Dylan's who is your breakout for 2021? Uh, I got Matthew Barzell. Um, it was tough. Obviously, this is more of a reemergence than a, than a true breakout, right? Given the 85-point rookie campaign uh, Barzell had three years ago. Um, but obviously, his pace fell off the map a little bit since then. Um, you know, he's posted back-to-back seasons with 62 and 60 points. Um, so, again, not obviously a true breakout in the sense like a guy like Nick Suzuki would be. Um, but I do really like Barzell to reestablish himself as a point per game player this year. I think we already know, right? He's one of the best playmakers in the NHL, just 23 years old. Uh, in the three seasons he has played, he's posted assist totals of 63, 44, and 41. Um, Tavares, obviously, leaving after that rookie year, might have had a slight dip on the on that assist total, um, especially on the power play. But he seems to have rebounded a little bit last year already when he had 16, 68. Um, so again, I just really like him to get back to a point per game this season. The issue, at least in terms of his fantasy value, has always been uh, that tame goal scoring record. He's never scored more than 22 times in a season. Uh, he showed signs of a lot more well-rounded game last year. He increased his shot rate to nearly three attempts per game. Uh, and his role continues to grow on Long Island under trot. So uh, I really don't think he'll have any issue replicating the 20 minutes a, a night of ice time he was getting last year. He doesn't even need to really improve on the three shots a game he had last season. As long as he can maintain that rate with some more realistic puck luck, he should have no problem maintaining a point per game this year. Uh, After posting a league average on ice stream percentage of 9.9% in his rookie year, that big 85-point season, uh, his puck luck has dipped the last two seasons with marks of 8.0 and 8.8%. If that can settle back in around 10% this year, he should be right around that point per game pace, uh, which would obviously be a fantastic return for his current ADP of 78, um, currently going in the seventh round. So, uh, a, a lot to like for Barzal this season. I, I think, like you said, there was a bit of a step back with Trotz's first year and Tavares leaving, but he really seems to have uh, commanded a, a much larger role last season. And like I said, he was already almost right at that point per game pace last year. And I don't think people are really giving him uh, the credit or the recognition he deserves. And certainly that ADP uh, is short of that. He's another guy who also just dominated in the bubble too. Not dominated, but really did stand out at, as uh, uh, him and Bolivia, as we talked about, but he, but he really passed the eye test a lot like Suzuki, I felt. Yeah, I actually just wrote uh, my preview for the Islanders the other day. Um, that line wasn't overly impressive during the regular season from kind of like an underlying numbers uh, perspective, but they kind of cranked things up 
Um, in the playoffs, they had a 53 Corsi four, averaging 34 uh, scoring chances for per 60. Uh, but they just weren't able to finish. I think they had an on a shooting percentage of like 3%. Um, if they can carry that kind of momentum into the regular season, I mean, D, uh, you and I know from doing the uh, 5v5 matchups every day that 34 scoring chances for per 60 is, is elite. And if they can somehow uh, carry that over this year, uh, Barzell has, you know, kind of like just massive. Yeah, I guess not breakout. You you said not breakout, but re reemergence. But he's another guy, mm-hmm. Monahan, Barzell. Like you, when you go on the ADP list, you're like, how the fuck are these guys this low? It's just right. so much talent for for that portion of the draft. It's a big year of what have you done lately? I mean, it's every year we 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 brought it up before, but especially this year, it seems to be applying. I don't know why, but doesn't it feel like Barzell is just like that type of player though, like in a shortened season and that he could just like, just go absolutely ape shit. Like I just have this weird feeling about certain players and I think it's just me being weird, but Barzell has that, like that type of feeling where he could just go ape shit if he gets hot off the start. I hope. But uh, my hit, it, it's funny you did Barzell because my breakout um, is an also unsigned RFA. So hopefully these guys get signed or they're not breaking out or reemerging anywhere. Um, no kidding. <laughs> but I'm doing Pierre-Luc Dubois, another guy we talk about on this PLD, show PLD. quite a bit. Um, a few hours before we actually recorded this podcast, there was some rumblings. I think it was Pierre Lebrun saying that uh, teams are inquiring about Pierre-Luc Dubois and how he wants a change of scenery. Um, but then Yarmo Kekalainen, I think, probably saw that tweet and texted him. He said, via text, he said, we're signing this guy basically. So I don't think PLD is going anywhere, but um, he put an end to those rumblings pretty quickly. Um, PLD's ADP right now is 99.1. I have him ranked a couple rounds earlier at 76. Uh, he's coming off of a relatively disappointing 2020 regular season, but really elevated his game in the playoffs. Um, D I'm sure you're familiar with his play against the Maple Leafs in the qualifying round. Uh, uh, technically wasn't the playoffs. So yeah, qualifying. It was whatever. Um, <laughs> If we get the playoff version of Dubois for a full 56-game season, he has a chance to be one of the best fantasy draft picks this season. Uh, In 2020, he was on pace for a new career high in shots uh, before the season got cut short and then started shooting even more in the playoffs, which is obviously a good sign coming in uh, to 2021. If he can get around that 200-shot pace, he'll finish with around 25-30 goals, uh, and he's already been pretty much a half an assist per game player throughout his career. So uh, to me, I think a 30-40 season pace uh, is definitely definitely within the cards. Um, and when you look at it, 30-40 is very similar production to a guy you were talking about earlier, D, um, in Mark Shifley, who is probably still being underdrafted in the late third, early fourth round. But Dubois is going in the late eighth, early ninth. Um, so I think the reason that he could be one of the best draft picks here is if you take him kind of as your number two center, that allows you to really focus on drafting the elite wingers and defensemen and goalies uh, in the first seven rounds in, in landing him as your number two center. And then if he vaults himself into that Shifley territory of 70 points, uh, then your team is going to be looking incredibly good. Um, so I looked at it and all the current ADPs and put together a team. So at 98 right now, that would be uh, the second pick uh, in the eighth round. And with the second pick overall, so say you get that, this is what your team could look like based on current Yahoo ADPs. So you'd have McKinnon first over our first round, and then your number two center would be Dubois. You could fill out the rest of your roster with Brad Marchand, 
Taylor Hall, Johnny Gaudreau, Timo Meyer, Zach Rowenski, Eric Carlson, Robin Lehner. Not bad. Seems pretty good to me. I think a lot of those guys are on our bounce back list this year. So obviously they're lit. Their, their current ADPs are much lower than we would expect them to be um, or where we would take them. But I think obviously getting McKinnon and Marshawn and Laner, who's maybe the, you know, number three, top three goalie this year, pretty decent start. And then if Dubois kind of elevates himself, um, that team could be absolutely nasty. So I think the guy like that in the eighth round is, is really disgusting right now. And, uh, I will say uh, I had PLD last year as my breakout. So at this rate, um, he's going to have another down here and D is going to have him as his breakout next year at the center <laughs> position. Uh, and we're going to go three for three. He's got to break out eventually. Unless he does. Really wants a change of scenery. There's clearly something Honestly, there. We're not just picking only center to break out as the exact same one for two straight years. Um, for no, but sorry, go ahead there. D. No, I, yeah, no, I think he's obviously already a great player. The, the, to me, the biggest, I don't know, issue, but maybe roadblock into really um, that peak fantasy potential or, or production is just the ice time, right? And is Torts really ever going to give him the full run as the number one guy? Um, maybe a bit of a victim of just the surrounding circumstances with how balanced that lineup has been the last few seasons. Torts has never really had to lean on a top line as much as a, uh, a team typically would. Um, so, yeah, they get – PLD has never topped 18 minutes a night in his career. Obviously we're used to the very best centers in the game playing a couple minutes more than that. Um, so again, will he get that extra ice time? I think that as much as anything is going to be the biggest thing to push him um, over the next, uh, the next level, like we say, because yeah, obviously um, we expect uh, maybe the on ice shooting percentage to take a bit of a bounce back and that uh, his shot volume continues to grow. And then if you throw an extra couple of minutes a night on top of that, then I think we're lo- might be looking at a point per game player. Yeah, and he so did take surreal. on a little bit yeah. of a bigger role in the playoffs. Um, he averaged, according to Hockey Reference, over 22 minutes a night. But I think that might be relatively inflated by a five-overtime game. <laughs> right. But, I mean, he's the he's their best player, right? So, it's the way it should be. But, like I said, they've always had, since he's been there, since Torts has been there, three or four lines they can trust in most situations. So, uh, yeah, it just has led to them not having to rely on that top line as much. And, not that it's hurt the team, but it's hurt his individual production or it's at least capped it. Um, so I definitely think he can take a step forward without the, the extra ice time this year. But I think that's the major thing um, that he needs to really, if he wants to, you know, start talking about being around the, these top tens like we were talking about at, at the start of the episode. And if, if anything, this is probably the deepest team that he's ever played on, having added Max Domi um, to second line center and Besides now kind of relegating uh... Boone Jenner to – third line center where he was yeah. probably a more natural fit. He was kind of playing above his head uh, last couple of years, but this Besides might be when the they deepest. Had Panner in there for, for, for two months. Yeah. Like they were, they were good, but like, this is were, this, like in terms of actual four line depth, this might be the actual best Columbus Blue Jackets team that we've seen, you know, since Torch has been there. Yeah. Scary. So, so yeah, that's the thing. I really, passion. like I said, to me, caps is upside, but he definitely has a long way to go where he could, make some real strides and still return great value on that pick without uh, maybe, you know, entering that point per game territory. Yeah. I think the one thing, obviously uh, shooting 15.5% two years ago, I don't think we'll ever kind of touch that mark, but then it dropped to a career low 11%. 
um, last year, which is uh, a little bit lower than we were, we were being accustomed to seeing him shoot uh, then shot 14% of the playoffs. So I think that that there's some wiggle room in there uh, for that shot shooting percentage to bounce back. And as I mentioned, shot volume increasing. So I think that this could be a, a, a year where we kind of see uh, some new heights. Like is it, it's similar to your, your pick D it is almost just a reemergence. I mean, he, he did have 27 goals, 34 assists um, in 2019 pretty decent number 60 points over a full season, but I think there's still some room to grow there, but um, let's talk more about regression and guys that we think are going to be busts this season. Uh, Beebs, we'll start with you to kind of wrap up the show here with our center bust. There's a lot of centers out there, which one isn't going to live up to his draft day value. So there, there are a lot of centers, but it's uh it's tough find one that that's bust that uh, that's, bus special um as always but for me st louis's newest captain i hate to do him ex avalanche player ryan o'reilly currently adp at 67th throughout the whole league uh that is six that's not 67th of just centers that's 67th of the whole league um absolutely blowing my mind um so this one this one stands out as a classic case of a guy who does way more on the ice than he does in actual fantasy hockey and that just doesn't quite reciprocate um Rohr's coming off a 77 and 61 point campaign um but he's never he's or my apologies he's never cracked the 30 goal mark ever in his career although having that 77 point campaign and has cracked the 20 goal mark five times in his career um which I mean, 20 plus is great, but if you're not hitting 30, um, you, he's become more just a pure assist guy. And for some of the talent around him at this time, some other names you're seeing here are Evgeny Kuznetsov. I'd rather have him just strictly for the assist and the goals at this time. Uh, Sean Couturier, who um, I would much rather have just for the goals. Maybe not much rather as a whole, but uh, Claude Giroux, another one that's right there. Matthew Barzell that D mentioned and Braden Shenzhen that's down there. Um, Ryan O'Reilly, realistically, there's about 10 to 15 centers that are all being drafted in the top 40. All there is right there. It ends at Bergeron, whose ADP is 42. And then it jumps right up to Ryan O'Reilly at 67. Um, so for me, I, I, I don't consider him the best of that next to go off the board. And there's a lot of other guys that I would rather have who can almost guarantee me 60 points at this point and closer to 30 goals than Ryan O'Reilly for me. Um, just as, as a whole, a guy who's never put up more than 77 in an 82 game campaign. Although that is great. His next best year is 61. I think he's more 60 point guy. We talk about 55 points being fringe roster. Don't give me a guy in the first five, six rounds. That's uh, that's going to fill that hole. So sorry, Ryan O'Reilly, but um, I'm not quite interested this season. Yeah. I think I got a got 67 like Mike Hoffman, if he ends up signing that actual deal, which looks like he is, he's there on a PTO right now. I think he's a guy that can elevate that second line, but even like Ryan Hopkins, numbers who has dual is right yeah, like I think, and I'd I think, rather have him. I think his ADP is definitely inflated right now. He's a guy that kind of stuck out. He was always a guy that you could get really late and he was like terrific value usually. And then now all of a sudden he's um, just way too high. Uh, but I do have a little bit of breaking news. Uh, literally right as I finished talking about it, PLD signed a two year, $10 million deal to stick around in Columbus. So no more rumblings. They fucking, they read that tweet. They're like, this is bullshit. Let's sign this guy. And they, I think three hours later, they, yeah, it's an incredible deal. Um, yeah, exactly. So PLD, uh, staying in Columbus, two years, 10 million, 5 million AAV, uh, maybe before, 
we wrap up this show, the Islanders will get uh, Barzell under contract, and we'll be able <laughs> to clean rate. up our we'll be able to clean up our breakouts. But uh, let's stick around with the bus to your D. Uh, who's busting for you this year? Yeah, well, real quick, I, I just want to touch on O'Reilly. The the most concerning thing, and really just unbelievable to an extent, is the shot volume just falling off the yeah, earth last year. He was his first year. Yeah. In, yeah, his first year in St. Louis, he had 234 shots on goal, which is, you know, borderlining onto that elite um, territory, for especially for the center ice position. And he had top 230 the last year in Buffalo as well. Uh, and then last year, he played 71 games, which obviously not a full season. No one did, but it was the most out of uh, – was the most of anyone or any team. Mm-hmm. Um, and managed just 118 shots, so almost – half the total that he had put up two years before um yeah he's not even averaging a shot and a half a game last season so those 12 goals that he scored well deserved there's no reason to expect it to bounce back if he's not going to shoot more uh and he might not be enticed to shoot more right there's really no need for him he's obviously a very effective player off the puck um and he's shown that he's you know a top tier playmaker as well and especially if they bring in a guy like Hoffman Mm -hmm. um Again, I just I don't know if there's going to be a need for him to really focus on upping that shot volume. I can't yeah, imagine they're happy with 118 shots from him. But you play with Hoffman, you're not yeah, shooting yeah. the puck. There's only yeah, one yeah, guy that's yeah. allowed to shoot the puck when you're playing with Mike Hoffman, and that's motherfucking Mike Hoffman. And I don't think exactly. they're ever going to be like, "Hey, Roar, change your game," um, just because I mean, like you said, it's working, uh, and it's it's a game that essentially exactly. Them so to there might be some pushback. Yeah, there might be some pushback. You might shoot a little bit more this year, but that is a massive drop-off, and it's not something that I would expect so just to bounce back, especially for a guy who's coming up on 30 years old. Still an amazing player. Would love to have him on, on a team. I think he's an, an incredible two-way hockey player. Uh, probably still, even with all the attention he gets now after they won the Cup, one of the most underrated players in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, for, as far as fantasy value goes for his ADP, it's – I mean – if he shoots that much, he's going to top out around 10 to 15 goals that year. And there's pretty much not anyone since Hank Sedin retired. That's worth rostering with that kind of goal output. So no, um, and like, I think like, I think you could easily say for all of us, I had Larkin and Dubois. Um, I can't remember exactly who you guys had mentioned, but like, we'd probably take all those guys over O'Reilly and they're being drafted anywhere from 30 to fucking a hundred yeah. spots later. Yeah. I had Barzell and Monaghan and same thing. I would, I, yeah. I, I don't think it's a huge gap between O'Reilly and Monaghan this year, at least heading into the season, but I would a hundred percent take Monaghan before. Cause you know that he's going to at least give you 25 goals and have potential for a lot more than that. And he's going, you know, 60 spots later. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and again, it's hard to know. Yeah, O'Reilly doesn't even bring a lot of hits to the to the table either. So it's not like no. that's that that's driving up the hits leagues or, or driving up the ADP either. Um, yeah, so it's got to yeah, be those face-off leagues. Yeah, maybe eh? um, <laughs> the classics. Yeah, and I did I did agree with Beebs though. I think uh, across the board, it was pretty hard to find a lot of obvious busts at the center position. O'Reilly was one that stuck out. Um, to me, another one, I know this is one that you said you'd have, you'd rather have over O'Reilly, and I'm probably still with you there, Biebs, but uh, still a guy for me that's going way too early right now is Evgeny Kuznetsov. Mm-hmm. Um, one seemingly, obviously, a very natural replacement for Nicholas Backstrom. Kuznetsov really has failed to establish himself as the Caps' number one center in his prime years. Uh, he's 28 years old now. He's coming off the lowest scoring output since the 2014-15 season. Managed just 19 goals and 33 assists in 63 games last year. Uh, despite enjoying some pretty incredible puck luck in the form of a 13.2 on ice shooting percentage. So 
Um, he's always been an assist specialist in fantasy hockey, but steady shot volume meant he was still a reliable bet to top 20 goals. And that went out the window last year. Uh, again, similar to O'Reilly, really just fell off. He had just 129 shots on goal last year, um, just under two a game. So the drop in form naturally resulted in a drop in ice time as well. Uh, he was more regularly used with Veron and Oshie on the second line, and they actually had some success, at least from an underlying standpoint, that line. So I, I wouldn't expect him to really get back with Ovechkin right away. I wouldn't expect that to be a concrete thing this season. I think, if anything, it's going to be a lot of juggling with Backstrom and Kuznetsov on those first two lines. Um, and yeah, last season, like we said, it allowed Backstrom and Ovi to reunite on the top line. Uh, and I'd expect it to be more of the same uh, from at least the start of this season. Uh, I think his playmaking ability, his power play production means he's definitely and obviously still a fantasy asset worth having. But the different shot volume, just too much of a red flag for me, especially considering he's going to be battling with Backstrom for that top spot, uh, top spot again. The lone center eligibility. Um, and like we said, we've been talking about, there's a lot of depth at this position. So to me, it's just really hard to justify taking him in the fifth round, which is where he's going with his ADP of 63. <laughs> yeah. He's really been disappointing. Um, last year, obviously, was a huge, huge down year. It was weird. Like, they just kept, like you said, juggling between Backstrom and Kuznetsov, and, and neither one of them was producing. Like, they were like, okay, let's put Backstrom up there for five games. Nothing. Let's put Kuznetsov up there for five games. Nothing. Like, just neither <laughs> one of them was doing anything. It was terrible. Um, I think I think what drives Kuznetsov value up or Backstrom's value f- – and I could be totally wrong on this, but don't you feel like whoever drafts Alexander Ovechkin feels like they have to draft one of these guys? Like, three, like, I, okay, well, I got Ovi. I got to go get Kuznetsov now and hope that he's going to pass him the puck on every single 50-goal yeah. season that Ovechkin had. I think that drives his, those two guys' value up every single year. As someone who's had Ovi and Backstrom in a keeper league for, like, the last seven years, I, I can definitely At peak agree Backstrom, that it was a great – it was perfect. Like, at peak Backstrom, he played with him every waking minute of the day. Yeah. And Ideal. he did assist on, you know, 50 of his 50 goals. Like, that was a thing. Now it's just not the case anymore. I Yeah, but I still just think, like, if you look at their last few seasons, they've almost been identical, like, stretching mm-hmm. back the last three or four years, Backstrom and, and Kuz. Um, and again, I really just trust Backstrom to get the majority of the minutes on that top line this year and on the power play. So if I was coming down to it, and again, someone who owns a Vetchkin in a keeper league, I'd rather have Backstrom this year, and he's going about 50 spots later than Kuz is. Yeah, yeah. Kuznetsov only had 12, uh, 12 power play points last year, um, where Backstrom had 18. And Backstrom's been a guy who's just every single year, you know, 20 power play assists, it's just assist. incredible um production on the power play so i think that would definitely um like i think i would probably i don't know it's so hard to say like i would rather have backstrom at his adp 100 percent um mm-hmm. but you know if i could get him at the same time i think i would probably still lean kuznets off just because i think there's more goal upside there but at the current adp it's, it's really no not brainer. though not with the shots from that we've been seeing the last few years like i know what you're saying like generally there has been but like i'll read you because uh, that's how total goal I just think as bad. I think years. it's as 20, bad. 19, 27, and then 21, 19. So aside from that 27 goal year, he's never top 21. Uh, and just a lot more similar to Backstrom than you might expect, right? Like Backstrom the last five years, 20, 23, 21, 22, and then last year with 12. So um, again, I just, I, I think their production and the, again, the goal scoring output really similar. I'm with you. If Kuz was playing and getting those prime minutes, I, I think there's more upside there, but it just doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. No, 
Um, but speaking of prime minutes, Mika Zabanajad. Now this this pains me. This is a bold take. This pains me. Um, so I've got Mika Zabanajad, who's going to be playing top six in New York as my bust. Um, and if you've been listening <laughs> to the podcast over the years, you know that I and the boys love Mika Zabanajad. Been touting him for years, but things are starting to get a little bit out of hand. Uh, to me, everyone is overhyping this Rangers team. While I do think they're going to be good, while I do think they're going to score a lot of goals, um, they're not a top 10 team. They might not even be a playoff team in that division. Um, but Zabanja was absolutely electric last season. 41 goals, 75 points in 57 Oof. games. Um, but he shot a career-high 19.7%, which is the fifth highest shooting percentage of players with at least 200 shots in the last 20 years. Um, so ridiculously it's, it's high. Ridiculously high. Um, additionally, his on-ice shooting percentage soared to 11.7%. Um, so there has to be some regression that's going to be setting in here in 2021. Um, you know, and, and like we talk about this all the time, I'm not saying he's going to be bad this year at all. This isn't to say, um, you know, he was on pace for 299 shots last year. That's something that we would normally eat up. But the current ADP of 20.9, right now that's ahead of guys like Stamkos, Malkin, Tavares, Barkov, Marshan. That's just too much uh, for me. No player is set up probably for more regression than Zabanejad this season. Um, And he's been taking – he's being taken ahead of guys – that have basically been putting up similar numbers to him over the course of their entire careers. Like we talked about Malkin, like Malkin does this every year and for him yeah. to go after Zabanajad, it, it's just too rich for me. So um, crazy. like I, there's just this weird, like there's two teams right now that are going ridiculously early, you know, at almost every position across the board and it's the Rangers and it's Carolina and both those like, when you look at the ADPs, like you look at you look at, you look at Zabanajad, even Panarin is like, I, I think Panarin's, you know, for sure top 10, but like, you know, he's going like fourth overall in some drafts. And it's, it's just, it's fucking out of hand. <laughs> like, like both those teams, I don't know what, who's touting um, them to be going this early. You know, they're all fantastic players, it's but just, just so early like i'm sorry Just like we, we we went through our top tens and we all had you know malkin and uh i don't even remember the other guys that i said who's he going ahead of where did Barkov. malkin tavares Barkov. we had all three of those guys you know in our top 12 all yeah. three of us I, uh... all three of them in our top 12 zabanajad is not should not be going ahead of them zabanajad is probably 13 yeah, well, fourteen. Yeah, he's right this there. This is what for I'm me. gonna say. I I agree, and I don't blame you for picking him because I I don't think, like I said, there wasn't very many obvious options for this position of guys that are being grossly overdrafted, and it is a little bit earlier than I would take him. I don't think it's that far off though, and I'm sure you agree. I have um, him ranked at 29, for, so like it's yeah, not that so we're far talking off, around later. Just behind these guys. Yeah, yeah, we're talking around later, but obviously around difference matters a lot more at the start of the draft than the tail end. Mm-hmm. I. You, Obviously, there's some regression coming here. This thing with Zibanejad is there's so much room for him to regress and still be a premier fantasy asset. 100%. Um, the guy had 75 points in 57 games last year, right? So we could talk about regressing to a comfortable point-per-game pace while still managing 30 goals. I'd expect him to fall a little bit short of that, which is why he just fell outside of my top 10. Honestly, like, 
if it came down to it, I might pick him over a guy like Point, even Pedersen, just because I think that the goal scoring there on top of, like I said, the fact that you expect him to be around a point per game. But obviously that 19.7 shooting percentage is just scary at, at the onset as well as that on-ice shooting percentage from last year. So I agree he's going too early, but I do still really like his advantage out this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if he tops a point a game again. No, and that's me too. Like I said, I got him at 29, still my top 30. I think the yeah. thing that's so crazy and it's going to – his whole season is going to hinge on that shot volume. Like on pace for 299 shots, that's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. If he does that and his shooting percentage regresses back to his career of 12.9%, that's still 38 and a half goals. That's yeah. incredible production. But if he shoots 260 times, you know what I mean? Like it's going to, it, it, it can quickly fall off a cliff for him. Um, for sure. And that's why I said, I kind of expect him to settle in around that 30, 30 goal, 40 yeah. assist pace. And that's is, kind of where again, I'm at as well. But yeah. Right on. Like, it's just like, to me, 20, 20th overall, like that's you know just outside the first round. That's, that's crazy. It's a little too high. I think it, he he he's a lot better in the third round because there is still a lot of upside here. But I think that if you draft him over a guy like Tavares, you might regret it at the end of the year. For sure. But would um, you rather have point than him? See, point. Oh, yeah. I, th- I I think still yes. Um, but it's losing Kucherov, man, like, I don't know what to expect it. I think I still would because I still expect Stamkos to step in there and be pretty good on that line, but uh, it's tough. That is yeah, point is the hard point is probably the hardest yeah. player to rank. And I think we could just, you know, just as easily while we're talking about bus point out point, because he, he's going even earlier than advantage out. I think, is he not? Yeah. 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 He's going like sure. 16th overall. Like I, I think I know, we, a lot of while, people while we're on yeah, it and, I, we might as well talk about it because that is incredibly early. So right now his ADP is 16.4 going ahead of Pedersen. Um, like it, that's so early. That's so early. Now, I think again, a lot of people are taking the opposite approach to this. Like, Oh, Kucherov's mm-hmm. out. He's going to have to step up and be the guy now. Right. Where I mean, me points been the hardest guy to get behind the last few years. Cause Yes, he's been – he looks incredible. You know, his production has been off the charts. But every time you look, even last year, his uh, – like, the underlying numbers are still inflated. Like I said, 13 – or 13.2% on-ice shooting percentage last year. It's easy to kind of shrug that off when you say, well, he's playing with Kucherov, right? Um, but with that not being there now, again, a guy that's maintained an 11% on-ice shooting percentage for his career. Um, for reference, let's pull up Sidney Crosby, right? The best player in the game for their last however many years. Uh, what are we going on? 15 years now? 10.5% for his career, right? So Braden Point is has been for his entire career comfortably above Sidney Crosby in terms of on-ice shooting percentage. So there's always been some regression coming there. Again, that's been inflated from the start with playing with the, or from playing with Nikita Kucherov, and that's not there this year. So I think that's again, I, we kind of have to explain why we're taking this completely different look and approach to Kucherov's absence. Because I think on the offset, a lot of people look at that and say, "This guy's been great. Now he's going to step up and run the show." When again, I think he's been a lot more of a passenger than most people realize on that line with Kucherov and on that power play. Great player, fantastic player, but yeah, that's that ADP is way too rich for me, and I can confidently say there's no way I'm going to own him in any leagues this year because I wouldn't be comfortable drafting him for another two or three rounds after that no and I think though the one thing about that ADP is before Kucherov got hurt a lot of those drafts still baked into it um so I'm sure it is coming down to a certain degree 
Um, but like he had 14 goals and 33 points in 23 playoff games. We, we, we sat there with no hockey for months. Yeah. And then we finally get hockey back and this guy comes in and is just fucking incredible. That's all yeah, anybody's an thinking about. Player. That's all anybody's thinking about. It's like, buddy, this guy, this guy, he's going <laughs> to have a hundred points next year. Look at him. You know, look how good he is. 33 points in 20 games. And then they're like, well, I'm taking him second round. And then it's not going to work. It's and he might not. do it. Who knows? He might be the first one to have an 11% on a shoot percentage in his career, but um, put him in the hall. To me, you know, with how I like to look at play, you can't make exceptions for guys just because you like them more than the rest. Everything about this guy's underlying numbers screams the overperformance for me. So I think there's some aggression coming. And yeah, that just gets highlighted when Kucherov sits out the whole year for sure. So f- three sleepers, three breakouts, four busts this year. Boom. There you go. Um, again, that was season six, episode six of the Daily Faceoff podcast. Brought to you by our friends at oddsshark.com and ownersbox.com. Um, we will be back next week. Uh, for Next year. <laughs> oh, good one. For the defense and the goalies, uh, our favorite episodes of the season. Um, again, our schedule is a little bit messed up right now. We're not really sure when we're going to record, when we're going to release episodes. So just kind of stay tuned on Twitter. Uh, but we are going to do two next week at some point, whenever we can all kind of, you know, head into our office and, and, and fire up the zoom. But in the meantime, everybody party safely this evening. Um, social distance, all yeah. that shit. You party safely in your zoom parties. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess no one's going to have to really drink and drive tonight. Like, no one's going to be no. driving their car. We're all going to be at home. Yeah. So, um, but Go anyways, Canada. I don't think anyone ever has to drink and drive. I didn't mean, like, has to drink and no, drive. No I one meant, has like, to I meant right. physically drive is what I was trying to get at. But anyways, happy <laughs> New Year's to everybody. Go Canada. Big game tonight. Oh, actually, I got one funny story to tell you guys. So, Sweden, right? They haven't lost a regula- uh, regulation match in 15 years. Yeah, like 54 games or something, 56. 50 fucking years. I bet on zero of those games last night. I bet on them at plus 115, and they lose for the first time in 15 years. So I'm sorry to the entire country of Sweden. That's on me. Um, We're going to get canceled in Sweden. Yeah, I didn't mean I didn't mean to just ruin I'm the never going to be able to meet Landis Cog. What the hell? I'm sorry. Or yeah. the king. They have a yeah. king, right? Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's Lundquist. My- that's my view. But <laughs> anyways, again, happy new year to everybody. I'm Brock Segan. We got Dylan D. Berthy, Michael Muse, Bondi. We'll see you guys back here next week for the defense and the goals. 2021 us is going to be popping. Yeah.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.